Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Keith Smith of Track and also Celtics Blog and the Front Office Show. And we have a great conversation on the trade deadline, on team building more broadly, and go in a lot of different directions. Um, start out with the, the lack of buyers, which I think has been an underappreciated storyline of the deadline this year. And then moving into some team-by-team situations, some of the evaluations that need to go on, and everything else. Lots of really good stuff here. And this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Episode runs over an hour. I think it's like an hour 10, something like that. Lots of really good insight here. I thought I thought it was great to get Keith's insight. And here we go. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It feels like one of the biggest stories of the this trade deadline. You and I are recording this two weeks out, has been the reluctant sellers. And and that's a totally worthwhile story. I mean, the headliners for me there are the Bulls and the Raptors because they have really good players. And if they decide to be sellers, then in whole or in part, then those guys are in the mix. But I, I wanted to start with something. I was riffing on this a little bit with Nate a couple days ago. But the other kind of balance in this is some of the most asset-rich teams are actually doing pretty well this year. I mean, so if you want to describe it as like the teams that have the most first-rounders moving forward, and some of these teams have really good young players too, teams like the Pelicans and the Jazz and the Thunder. It doesn't appear that any of them are clear-cut buyers right now either. So I, I either you know, there's always the like part of the sizzle of the trade deadline is the intensity of the buying and the intensity of the selling. And it doesn't feel like there's any team that's super ready to make that big offer, even though we're focusing on the teams that aren't really willing to put their guys out there. Yeah, that's that's a really good way, I think, to think about it. I've been going through the same thing as you kind of, at this time of year, I generally start to organize, all right, who's a buyer, who's a seller, who's an either, you know, maybe, you know, pending how things go, they might make a move one way or another. And then who's kind of a neither, which is like for years, that was the Spurs, right? Like they're just going to sit this out because they don't ever do anything at the trade deadline. And they've changed that in a little bit in recent years. But this year, that's this is the hardest I've ever found it to put teams in those camps because even some of the clear-cut sellers, like, like I would think like Houston, but like what are you selling? All right, you have Eric Gordon, but everybody else is basically on like a rookie scale or a very team-friendly deal on the rocket. So that's become really hard. And then so then I start to look at, all right, who could be one of those teams? The, the trade that I've been, I keep coming back to last year was that Kings Pacers trade where it was what's a who could pull like a big rebalancing trade where it's like like could toronto not necessarily sell but could they just rebalance and say all right hey having a whole bunch of guys who are six foot eight to six foot ten didn't really work the way we wanted it to we need a little bit more better roster balance and could they trade a couple of those guys and getting more you know reasonable guard size players or you know a true big who can really fill spots i i I tend to think that's what maybe could happen but right now this is easily the most difficult to peg trade landscape i've done because Two, two weeks out, normally you have a pretty good sense of where teams are at. But I think the fact that the league's wide open and especially in the Western Conference, the standings are so con- condensed, it's really hard to figure out where teams may go. Right. And it's also the challenge of how do the individuals who are making these decisions interpret where teams are and where they're going? Because generally speaking, 
front offices, ownership, they're optimistic. Like that's just, we we put together a good team, we're going to do it. And, you, and most of the time, the way that that changes is just reality bashing you over the head. Like that's the way this happens, whether it was fair, like you just weren't that good, or it was injuries or something else. And then that, you know, you, you don't, you don't usually start with sellers, you make sellers. Like that's the mm-hmm. way it works. And so in the West, you know, right as we're recording this podcast, the New Orleans Pelicans are in the four seed in the West with 23 wins. And the Los Angeles Lakers are in the 13 seed with 20, or well, sorry, 23 losses. The Lakers are in the 13 seed with 26 losses. So if you think of front offices as fundamentally optimistic, you have all that. And then there's the weird wide openness of the potential playoffs. And so it's like, well, if we get in, then maybe we can make it a while. Like, there you have those kind of questions as well. And so I, I think that that's a really, it's it's always a really useful thing. And so that leads to the dearth of, of sellers. And the other point you brought up, I, I really like this with, with Houston, and you could, of course, point another couple out. Charlotte is a potential notable exception here, is that there aren't that many talent-poor teams in the league, and a mm-hmm. lot of them have already done that work. You know, like the San Antonio Spurs, maybe they move Yaka Pirtle, but the sa- the sales for them that actually like move the needle for good teams, those have mostly already happened. And the Rockets, as you mentioned, it's Eric Gordon and not a whole lot else. Um, the Hornets are that exception. And then the Pistons, like, I don't know what Troy Weaver wants to do, but the other challenge that's looming large for a lot of these teams, and I think the Pistons are the key example of this, is how long do they intend to be bad? Because, like, mm-hmm. Alec Burks, I think, is a fantastic example here. So Alec Burks could absolutely help out a good team. He's having he's having a good year. It's the surprising thing. I think it's toned down a little bit now because he's played more, but there was this crazy thing where, like, basically the Pistons offense was great when he was on the floor and then bad when everybody else <laughs> yep. was on the floor. But so you would say in a normal circumstance, Pistons, you know, they're going to have one of the top four lottery odds and they have a player like that. And you could argue this with Bogdanovich as well. But if Troy Weaver wants to be competitive next year, Bogdanovich has a totally reasonable $20 million salary, which they negotiated dur- you know, during the last few months on that extension. And Alec Burks has a $10.5 million team option. So if they want to sell, they can. But do they want to sell players that could easily be a part of their team next year when Troy Weaver and Tom Gores might want to actually be more relevant? Yeah, the, the Pistons are, when I look at them, one of the things I continually kind of say is I think... They came into this season with the hopes of this would be a not necessarily a good good year, by right? which by good year I generally mean like you make the playoffs, and that's the playoffs, not just the play in. But I think they would have hoped, hey, by trade deadline time, we're still challenging for the play in tournament, and we'd be there. And then Kate Cunningham got hurt; they had some other injuries, and it all kind of fell apart on them. So I think that is just kind of you know how it goes sometimes for these teams. But I think to what you just said is I look at it is if you're thinking hey next year we get Cunningham back no matter what we do the rest of this year we're going to be bad whether we trade those guys or we don't trade them it doesn't really matter so we're going to add another really good young player to the mix and hopefully Jaden Ivey Jalen Duran, as the year goes on they get more experience and then are we really ready to say all right you know what we can make that step forward next year and as maybe a couple other teams slide back a little bit we pass them in the standings and that's just kind of how it goes but in order to do that you got to keep guys like Bogdanovich and Burks. And if they were sitting on unreasonable contracts where it's like, boy, they're going to block everything, then you got to move them. But what I start to look at with a team like the Pistons specifically is, all right, it sounds great that they can create a ton of cap space this summer. And in general, I tend to lean towards 
do that if you can. But in their case, when I look at 43 million or so in cap space, that sounds good. But hey, if I take 10 and a half of that away from Alec Burks, guess what? I still have a ton of cap space that I can do a lot of different things with. And I have another good player. And I have other trade options maybe going into the summertime and those kind of things. So I think if I if I'm a team sitting there like Detroit, I'm I'm a little more reluctant unless a team comes in and says, all right, yo, we're gonna we're, there's no other sellers on the market. We have to beef up our rotation. We're gonna bowl you over with this offer of picks and young talent and those kind of things. That would change my mind very quickly. But I'm not just looking to move guys just to move them because those guys can very easily be a part of whatever the version of the Pistons we get when they build that roster out in July. And there's another related point to that, which connects to the lack of the lack of intense buyers out there. And so I, this came up. I, I thought about making this a bigger point when I wrote a piece on the Bulls for the Athletic, but I used Demar Derozan as the example here. And so the, one of the evaluations that Arturis and Trey Weaver and numerous other general managers around the league who are at least open to the possibility of trading some of their good players is how much better are the offers now than the offers I could get in the offseason. And so yeah. with Bogdanovich, you agreed to that extension. That means you could have him on the team next year, but that also means you could trade him in July. You don't have to let him walk. You don't have to negotiate a new contract. It's already done. Alec Burks, you already know what that decision what that decision is. So from a general manager perspective, what you're evaluating is I can I, I know I have offers for X now. And let's say those offers are reasonable but not fantastic. Well, so you think they're maybe closer to like the lower end. Then the downside risk of keeping them around and seeing where the season goes, seeing where this maybe even the start of next offseason goes before making that decision seems a lot more palatable. And so what I think we're going to see at this deadline is a lot of teams talk themselves into that possibility. Now, there are certain situations, typically with pending unrestricted free agents, where that balance doesn't apply because you just take on a lot of risk. Maybe the player has made some sort of indication. But one of the other weird things about this deadline is that it seems like some of those teams, most notably the Washington Wizards, are very willing to take that risk on. Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they know Kyle Kuzma and Kristaps Porzingis that they're going to make an offer, those guys are going to sign it, and this is just done. That's Maybe that's why they traded Rui Hachimura. Who knows? But generally speaking, especially when a player is becoming an unrestricted free agent for the first time, you would see teams be a little bit antsy, a little bit queasy, and like those two with them, with those with the Wizards with those two guys, the you could say the Grizzlies with Dylan Brooks, though I see that as kind of a different situation because of how good they are mm-hmm. and arguably the Blazers with Jeremy Grant like all of these circumstances it's like the, it, and maybe Jeremy Grant signs an extension there were murmurs that it was going to happen basically that it could happen you know that was part of the negotiation let's call it when the trade happened but those guys Miles Turner is another big kind of weird domino with this and we haven't really heard much about any of those guys other than Turner in regards to the Lakers offer that probably has never been on the table <laughs> yeah exactly and that's that's the thing i just as a miles turner side i tend to think when a guy has been in trade rumors for literally years and hasn't been traded there's a reason for that and it's pro- 
probably the team actually really likes him and he probably doesn't want to go anywhere. And I think that's where we're at with Miles Turner. I think it's, you know, everybody kind of wants him and, and we've all pitched a million different places where, you know, who'd be a great fit there, Miles Turner. But then when we come down to it, it's like he never actually gets traded. So what, what are we doing with that? I think you mentioned a couple uh, interesting teams in there. Um, and I, I would throw in, there's kind of four guys that I, I have my eye on because as odd as it is, normally we're looking at right, who's an expiring player on a truly bad team. That's very easy to see that player moved to a contender because maybe contender saying, nah, we don't care so much about the contract status because we're going all in. We've already covered that doesn't necessarily really exist this year. But what we do have is a whole bunch of guys in that boat that are on a kind of middling teams. Kuzma is one of them. You mentioned him. Jeremy Grant's another one. I think Jordan Clarkson's kind of in that boat with Utah. And then a, thir- a fourth guy is Gary Trent Jr. with the Raptors. And I think if you're the Wizards, the Raptors, the Thunder, or um, the Jazz, rather, or the Blazers, you have to be really looking at this and saying, all right, are these guys part of what we're building moving forward? And if, if that's a hard no, well, then you should be trading them right now. There's no reason to keep them because they're probably not the difference maker in you really making a, a real playoff run or, you know, not. And that's to me is that's where all those those franchises should be at. I also think then then your next question you need to ask yourself is, all right, if this guy is somebody we want as part of our future on what kind of contract? Because if you can get um, Kyle Kuzma um, for 20 to 25 million at the very top end, that's probably not the end of the world. If it starts approaching much more than that, that gets a little messy. The same situation with Jeremy Grant is, you know, if you start pushing over $30 million a year, now all of a sudden I'm going to start asking, where are we going? Because now you've, you're kind of building into, this is our core. And that core is gotten you a 500 record and battling for playing spots. So that's where I think those are the questions you need to be asking yourself is, do we want them first? And then what is our walk away number this summer? And if you think someone's going to make you have to walk away, then I think you have to default back to, or what are we chasing here by keeping these guys? And that's that's a, a different spot than we're usually in, I think, for these teams. Because in a normal year, a team like Washington might be looking at it and saying, you know what, we're probably not going to get into the playoffs, so maybe we can do something different. Whereas I think, like you said, there's that optimism factor where I think a lot of these teams say, well, you know what, we'll get into the play-in and then we can be – the Pelicans or, you know, the team that get, gets through the playing tournament that may make some noise in the playoffs. And then that does X, Y, and Z for us going into the off season. But some of these teams, I just, I look at them like, is that really where you want to be? And, and for me, that that's tough. I, I, I just, I very much believe in you. You don't necessarily want to live in the middle when you've been living in the middle for a very long time already. For sure. And I, I'm a firm believer that the treadmill of mediocrity is real. And there's also a very, clear first mover's advantage, not necessarily in terms of the price you receive, though I think that could be true, but it's it's this lingering thing, you know, we talked about how bunched everybody is, that also means that if you fall below the bunch, you could get much better lottery odds really, really quickly. So the way yep. this works right now in the league as we're recording this is you have those bottom four, all of whom have 14 wins or fewer. 
Then you have the Orlando Magic at 19 wins. So that they're five clear of everyone else. And I think they're going to keep moving further clear because they're playing well. Then you have the Raptors, the Wizards, and the Bulls at 22. And then that starts the, the big group. And so what that means is if whether it's due to injuries and fate or whether it's due to, you know, making that fate by trading players, there is a reasonably clear path to getting the sixth best lottery odds. And that could potentially be the fifth best lottery odds if the Orlando Magic keep pushing and can keep playing well. And you're like, okay, well, what what do you get if you have the sixth best lottery odds? And I'll use Tankathon's math on this because I don't feel like doing the math myself right now on the fly. <laughs> um, average pick value, like the average pick that you end up with with the six best lottery odds is 5.5. You have roughly like a 38% chance of getting a top four pick. And then your most likely thing other than that is like, you, you, it's very unlikely that you're going to pick worse than eighth. Like, that's pretty good. Like, that's that's a, a reasonable incentive. Now, there are certain teams, like the Chicago Bulls, for whom that incentive is very complicated because of the protected pick that they owe to, I believe that one's to the Met. No, that yeah, one's that's still to the Magic. To yep. the Magic. And then it's one to the Spurs after that yep. for the DeRozan deal. And so there's there it gets murkier for them because it's like, okay, you're you're raising your chances maybe like, I don't know, like 10% of keeping that pick. How, how much is that worth versus the embarrassment of giving a good pick and, and everything else? But for a lot of these other teams, you you know, that gets you into a, a much better place. And when everybody else is still trying, getting down there earlier is actually better. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's one really interesting factor in this. Um, and then something else that you and I, I, I don't know if you've thought about this as thoroughly as I have, just because I, I, I don't know if I ever wrote the piece on this. I was thinking about it, is <laughs> there aren't that many bad contracts in the league right now. Nope. And so yeah. that is one of the other one, one of the other ways. Um, Amin Hassan has before f- phrased it, that um, pick protection is like the grease that gets trades moving. Well, one of the other accelerants that, you know, like pushes that train down the track is bad contracts. And that might sound weird, but it's because there are two reasons that bad contracts can really do things. One is, you know, it's that weight, it can open things up in your rotation. But the other is that it opens up flexibility to do other things. And one of the problems is there aren't those free agents that you're going to move heaven and earth to sign. And there aren't those contracts that you're desperate to unload. And so you get into these circumstances where, yeah, would Team X be happy if you could get an amnesty provision, snap your fingers, and this player's player's salary is no longer in the box? Of course, there are those throughout the league. But are they willing to give up a first or two firsts to make it happen, even if they maybe get an upgrade, a temporary upgrade of a player in the circumstance? No, probably not. Like, I don't see any of those around the league yeah there really isn't it's funny you say that i usually write each year uh, a list of kind of the the 10 most tradable which turns into really like 10 best contracts and i and i take max deals out of that because you can't get better than a max deal and those sorts of things and then the companion piece of that is the 10 worst contracts and in this year we're kind of on the fence of do we run it because 10 best could really probably be 25 best contracts because there's a lot of really good ones and then 10 worst might only really be about five and even those are not five where it's like oh gosh that is horrific that that is sitting out there on somebody's books and i I just just think teams have done a better job and i think it's that combined with the flattened lottery odds teams don't need to be truly horrific to bottom out you just got to get to that bottom three or four 
or then combine that with the play-in tournament. Is this incentive for some teams to hang around? You put it all together and you have a, a trade deadline where it is, yeah, we, we're we going to see movement because there always is. I, we've had a couple real duds of trade deadlines. I remember one years ago where it was like, uh, you know, Anthony Johnson was like the only guy who got traded on deadline day. And I was like, what was this? This was nothing. Um, and that was like a salary dump for a second-round pick kind of thing. So I think we're in a spot where it is we'll still see stuff, but I think it may be in a lot of ways more interesting trades than the classic bad team moves, uh, high salaried player eats bad contract that's expiring from good team because they're just those don't necessarily exist. I think, too, to your point on the lottery piece, when I have a lot of conversations, people will be like, but they'll throw like somebody like Washington. But Washington can't catch Charlotte, Detroit, Houston, San Antonio. Well, that's true. They, they, they can't. They've won too much now. They're not going to catch them. But the reality is they can get better odds. And I think that's what you did a good job of pointing out there that makes a lot of sense because that turns into, yeah, hey, that better odds is every year somebody seemingly moves up. And it, it comes a lot of times from that middle of the the, the round area where, where that happens. I'd want to be in position to do that. I think the other thing that's getting lost a little bit here is I had someone tell me the other day, they're like, well, you know, but you can't be pitching for every team that's right around 500 to to blow up their roster and change it. And that's where, no, you have to have a very real understanding of not every team that's in that spot is is in the exact same position as a franchise. The Warriors, the Suns, the Mavericks, they're all sitting around 500. Well, they all have reason to believe, you know, we're far better than 500 teams. We just got to start playing like it over the next couple weeks. A uh, team like the Timberwolves, even if they don't necessarily think they're much better than 500, they don't own their own pick. So there's no no reason to give the Jazz an even better pick uh, than the one you're already going to give them already. A team like the Thunder, on the flip side, is are they looking at it and saying, hey, whatever this season is, it is. That's great. But are we ready to really kind of go all in right now? Probably not. But then you you have teams like Portland, the Lakers. They seem like they're forever wanting to chase, you know, and get get, get higher up in the standings. Obviously, the Lakers are in a, a very different world than most of these other teams. So that's where I think it becomes, you know, have a real honest conversation of what is it we're chasing here? Because if what we're chasing is a spot in the plane and maybe a first-round exit, especially for those teams in the, let's say, the 9 through like 12-ish range in the East, you're not going to beat Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, probably not even Cleveland if they're up there. So what what, what is it you're, you're pushing forward for there if you're doing that? And that's why I start to think of a team, they're going to go Washington, Toronto. It's better, let's take that step back right now, move some of these guys, and let's put ourselves in position to have a nice pick, and then we can kind of rebound and rally with a little bit more flexibility, a nice young player coming in, and we go forward with that. But I, I just I get the sense of I don't know that that's where some of those teams are because I think they may be very well content to just sit in the playing race and sell that as, hey, we're still playing for the postseason here is kind of a carrot that's out there that I just don't know that it's a very good carrot. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and it is one of the bigger differences between the way I would run a team and the way teams are run, though I understand a, a part of how and why that difference happens. Lots more to discuss with Keith Smith, but first a message from betonline.ag. 
BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. So... Head to the website today or use your mobile device and use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. Another variety of trade that can happen, we already saw one of these with the Rui Hachimura deal, is it's better to do this earlier than later, but the realization or expectation that you might not want to be the team that signs a player to their next contract. Mm -hmm. And so whether that be that you don't value their restricted rights as much, like that could seems like that could be the case with Cam Reddish and the Knicks, like considering he's not even in their rotation right now. And one that actually like there is some conceptual momentum for deals like that because one of the dynamics for 23 that I've been working through and I'm sure you have as well is that there are a number of teams that look like they're going to be in that modest amount of cap space or more likely over the cap below the tax and so if I were running a team in that circumstance one of the motivators would be can I get players, you know, I've called it before, like the second mid-level exception, where it's like, you bring in a 10 million, you bring in a player who's making 10 million for next year. And now you can bring in another player making around 10 million for next year, because you still have that much wiggle room as the cap rises, the tax rises and everything else. And so that could potentially make a team interested in in a, a player like that could be somebody like PJ Washington potentially that could be somebody like Darius Baisley potentially um but one of the problems is there aren't that many of those guys in this class and there aren't that many that teams are willing to move like for example in a different circumstance I could be very interested in trying to acquire Max Struess right now. He's having a weird year, and we've been learning from his teammate Duncan Robinson that being a ridiculous volume three-point shooter does not necessarily stay forever. But Max Struess, just to walk people through his his situation, he is a pending unrestricted free agent with a minimum cap hold. And so that actually could be really valuable for a lot of different teams. That could be valuable for a team that has cap space now and then is willing to, you know, they can sign all their other guys, come to a functional agreement with him. This is what the Knicks did with Mitchell Robinson last year. It can be a really good way to kind of like add the cherry on top to your offseason. But I don't think Miami is thrilled about, you know, making a move with Struess and like who's really, you know, like who's going to have the confidence that Struess is just going to come back because it's easier when you already have Mitchell Robinson than it is to trade for somebody in February and say, hey, July 1st, we're going to work this out. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think there's a handful of guys in that boat where I also look at it too. Like, like I look at that. Uh, you mentioned Cam Reddish, and I think that was very much a part of the Hachimura trade. And it's funny, a couple guys who were drafted right around where they were in their draft class, Kobe White and Jackson Hayes. I start to I like that. that. Yeah. If you're the Bulls and the Pelicans, what are you? Are you keeping them? Are you signing them this summer? And if you are, great. Then you keep them and, and you move on. But like, especially a guy like Kobe White, he's one of five or six guards that need 
need to play uh, on the Bulls. And I start to really think of like, where where are you going with Kobe White? Because if you don't feel confident you're going to resign him, now you've missed a window because all you're going to do is leave him in restricted status. That's going to tie him up. He's going to end up in a spot where he's probably not going to get a great contract. And what you're hoping for is either one, he comes back to us on a lower than market value deal because nobody wants to mess around and restricted free agency or we move him very late in the process like what happened Lori Markinen. Hayes is in a very similar boat and I think New Orleans is in a weird spot too where they've got some extra draft picks coming in uh, down the line because everybody knows about the Lakers ones but I think we've kind of forgotten they have built picks coming from Milwaukee yep. over the, the future years too so it starts to turn into you're going to run out of roster spots there so you've got to start to 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 look at these things and if I'm New Orleans the question I'm asking different from the Bulls question but for New Orleans is how close am I if I get Brandon Ingram's back now if I get Zion back within the next couple weeks and I feel really good about hey I can make a real run at this thing then why are we hanging on to Jackson Hayes and a couple of these other guys more towards the the end of the the bench and the answer may very well be well nobody wants them but if the answer is hey I could trade Hayes and Devontae Graham is a salary match but the real get for another team is hey go get a go go get a little extra uh, uh, spending power um, as far as draft picks go or drafting power I should say um, there's there's my real thing and I I think too and I wrote about this over on Spot Track is these teams that are sitting below the the tax line but are above the cap teams there's a big group of those teams this year that absolutely should be doing what they can I it's almost kind of pre spending a little bit of money to flesh out your roster so Memphis Sacramento um, are, are a couple teams that I think about in that spot where it's like Memphis is almost 29 million under the tax uh, Sacramento is sitting 17 million under the tax there's almost no moves you can reasonably make that are going to get you anywhere close so you should be looking to add to your roster right now because for, for the Grizzlies you might be a player or two away from making a real run and if you're the Kings well let's just get to the playoffs right it's been you know a decade and a half where we haven't been there let's 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 just get there and you know then, then we'll you know kind of you don't have to make a crazy all-in move like you shouldn't be trading Keegan Murray or anything silly but like go move you you, you can pile together you know 20 million and expiring salary for non-rotation players or not bad salary for non-rotation players and go get somebody who can help you and i look at the grizzlies too i get why they would say i don't want to move future draft picks because they're probably right now the best draft and develop team in the league but again i'm going to look at it and say well if i like all the guys i have today i don't have roster spots to keep all these guys anyway so maybe i put a couple of these guys together uh along with maybe it's danny green's contract we'll see i know he's coming back in a week or so maybe you do bite the bullet and say hey if i can get a real high level wing for dylan brooks i'll throw him in in there but if they're they're a team that i think should be maybe willing to go to the pistons and say are right, you want to first all right we we'll do it because i think they could be a bogdanovich away from making a real finals run whereas so that's that's just where it's you know the, the time is now and you can do that without making yourself a taxpayer this year and probably not even next year because you've got plenty of clearance under the tax as well so those are the things that i would be considering if i was those those teams to piggyback on your point there also is 
greater flexibility for salary matching in trades in these kind of like middle areas you know it's it, you can you can get some stuff done and so for a team like Sacramento for a team like Memphis like you don't have to you know it's not necessarily like for like you can even do something you know involving Malik Monk or I mean Rashawn Holmes is is a little bit thornier because of his situation and you're right I, th- I think there's a lot that you could do and it could be pre-spending if you could spend it up for this year you can also sometimes you know like th- th- it's a it's another kind of I, variety I guess you call it of trade is like player who's not a bad value on their contract but is also not necessarily in the right place or like that team player is worth 12 million but player's current team does not want to pay them 12 million like those sorts of circumstances and so that can actually be really nice ground for a team that doesn't think they're going to have cap space the following year where it's like you could get and you're probably not getting a starter that way but you could get somebody who's in your top nine and makes your team better and makes them more resilient to injury and I think those elements are extremely important and you brought up the roster spot issue which I think is incredibly salient and I mean teams could use Oklahoma City as an example here I mean Houston which I fully support cut a fully guaranteed player um I think they cut multiple like and I'm not even talking about veteran buyouts like they you know mm-hmm. tied Jerome they just cut him you know he made yep. 4.2 million this year and that's <laughs> they cut all four guys they got in that trade they did uh, that Favors, was Harkless, Jerome and uh, Maladon all well, yeah, I, be- I believe no yep. one involved in that entire trade made it started the <laughs> regular season on their <laughs> they, roster they did not <laughs> which is just wonderful nonsense and so you can you can do those sorts of things but generally speaking it's going to be hard and it's going to be there are going to be unpalatable elements so being ahead of the curve and then the other team that I think explains part of how this deadline is so bizarre is the Golden State Warriors and so the Warriors they have a pretty clear win now-ish incentive because they won the championship last year they have Stephen Curry in the peak of his powers and all they have this foundation of players who are very very good but are also in their 30s and you so expect broadly speaking that each year is going to be less reliable than the last like that's generally the way it works and so in a quote-unquote normal circumstance you would see they have three fairly recent lottery picks and Kuminga is doing better now but you could say broadly speaking none of them are quite living up to the expectations or the slot they were drafted in so but you would still say hey you could move some of those guys you could do something else and either because they don't want to which i think is a significant part of that or they meaning let's call it the brass broadly i don't think it's uniform for sure and that's augmented by the optimism because you're the ones who drafted those guys because the Warriors front office of course has not changed that much over the last couple of years and this two timelines idea or the idea that you you know that these guys can be part of the next stage so you so the Warriors like you could see them in many other circumstances as a like one of the most logical buyers in the league but then you're like well what are you what are you going to give up to make this happen yeah, com- completely agree. And I think what happens is I-, I think there is very much in the NBA, there is a massive over uh, attachment to your own players that, that you drafted. Like, like, I just think that is just gets super annoying, for lack of a better term of, you know, all right, 
you know, that's fine. And sometimes it's it's with good players. Sometimes it's with not so good players. But it just becomes, you know, great. And one of the things that I push forward, and I, I wrote about this way back at the beginning of the year with the Thunder, is, all right, cool that they have a million draft picks coming. And they've got all these great young players. And I think, to your point, you brought up the Rockets. I think they're going to probably end up in a similar spot as well is you cannot, one, roster everybody. And two, you can't pay everyone. So then where does that leave you? If you're not willing to start moving some of those guys and moving some of those draft picks, you're going to land in a spot where you're you're going to be making decisions like we, we kind of laughed about the Rockets cutting all those guys. Those are all fine guys to cut because they weren't going to be a part of your team. Same thing on the Oklahoma City side of that deal. They cut a whole bunch of guys who weren't going to be part of the team. But a year from now, two years from now, you might be making similar decisions on guys who popped as second-round picks or guys you drafted in the first round. And then all of a sudden it is, where are we going with this? And you can't always assume that there's just going to be some other team sitting out there that hey we'll take that guy because then then it turns into wow i drafted and i'm just making it up i'm pulling the name out of thin air but we drafted usman jang we don't really have a place for him in oklahoma city now we got to trade him so we're gonna trade him probably at a loss because we traded picks to get him anyway and now what we're gonna have to do is maybe throw something on top of it just because because teams will have us over barrel knowing well if you can't you're just gonna cut him anyway and that's where it just gets super super tricky with your roster building and it's this isn't an approach for because i had somebody accuse me when we we're talking this like so you like the lakers approach of three stars and re refill the last 12 spots on the roster it's not that either i just want a little bit of balance but it's fine as you're building up but then when you're ready you need to be willing to push in and that may be saying wow boy we really loved this dude in the draft but the best thing to do is move him and then the warriors example for me with like james wiseman i'm just of the opinion it is never going to happen for him in golden state some believe it's never going to happen for him period but i just think it's always going to be he's in a position where it's the team for the next foreseeable future four years maybe window is always going to be competing for something more than he's going to be able to help them compete for and i think he's never going to get the minutes and the time and the development he needs and you have to be willing to say hey if his 10 million ish salary can get us something that can help us get one more title with our core guys that's worth the thought of wow james wiseman popped and became a great player for the san antonio spurs to me that's well worth that because you know what hey we tried we thought we we're going to build this spurs like window of 20 years of contention behind these two timelines but i think you have to again be realistic and say all right it's probably not going to happen so what we owe it to steph clay draymond and that crew we owe it to them to put the best team around them for the next couple of seasons that if this is the way we have to do that, this is the way we have to do that. Right. And to to use an example of another kind of related part of this, the Toronto Raptors. And so the Raptors are in this circumstance. They have, a, they have a lot of good players. They have a lot of players who actually have value around the league that you eventually run into the part. And you could argue that this is a kind of a first world problem version of this, where First, you have the issue like Houston does of you have to try to find playing time for these players, not only so they can be happy, but so you can evaluate them. 
But then let's say you get into the good problem, which is you have enough of these players that have worked out. Eventually, you're going to have to pay them too. And for teams like the Thunder and the Rockets, they're probably going to have to do that when the cap is going up a lot. Like we don't know the exact timing of how everything is going to shake out, whether there's going to be something like smoothing. And so like that's part of why I've been so, let's call it frustrated by what it looks like is happening with the Raptors is that, yeah, they're a fun team. They're an interesting team, but are they good enough to justify what it would take to retain this team? And like they, it's, it's, we're so used to the, you know, like, okay, like the Milwaukee Bucks, like, yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks are very expensive and I, I give a lot of credit to the ownership group. They want a championship. They're still really good right now. If they can be full strength, like they're going to be in the mix. That's not where the Raptors are. Mm-hmm. And so you run into all of these different things. And that doesn't mean you have to be an early mover. You have to cut the cord early, but you need to be honest and consistently evaluating to figure out where you are and where you're going. Because if you're late, it very rarely works out. It can sometimes, but it rarely does. And I think in the case of Toronto, this is where it's really important to have good intel on what could Van Vliet, Trent, get this summer because if it's more than what you're willing to pay you need to move them right now i know that that's harsh and that's a uh, a very black and white way of looking at team building potentially but in especially with a guy like fred van vliet who is you know they, they love to tell you hey remember he was undrafted you know they, they make sure you know that anytime you know he comes up but the reality is if you're not going to pay him, and I know there's been all these rumors of Orlando or Phoenix, and Phoenix is weird because I don't even know how they'd even get there, um, and that'd have to be some kind of sign and trade, but still avoiding the hard cap. It just gets very awkward. But I think with if you start thinking, well, you know what, maybe Orlando does see him as right, we're ready to make a real playoff run. Then leads to the guy that can lift us, and they're going to pay him more than what we feel like we should be paying him. Even pricing in, sometimes you overpay a little bit for a homegrown guy to keep him around even pricing that in you should probably be looking at moving him even if that makes the next couple months painful now of maybe all the teams we've talked i have the most faith in messiah jerry to do whatever he has to do right and i also have the most faith in hey if there's a big move to be made he'll make it he'll take the home run cut and basically say hey i tried and if it works it works and if it doesn't it it doesn't and you know we'll, we'll move on to whatever's next but i just think it's a little interesting that you know, as we said, two weeks out, they've just kind of kept muddling along. Now, maybe they're reading the market right. And they're saying, hey, somebody's going to get desperate. And somebody is going to say, you know what everybody needs at the trade deadline? A 3 and D wing. And everybody may say, Gary Trent's the best one. And they may get a better return than what they're looking at two weeks out, maybe a week out or two days out, or maybe even deadline day itself comes. But I just think it's very important, again, to have those conversations, have that good read of where are we going? Where's the market going? What does this look like? Because if if you're looking at it and saying, yeah, there's no real players for Van Vliet out there. They, he, he keeps getting mentioned all these teams and we don't feel good and we feel like we can get him on a perfectly reasonable contract. Then, you know, maybe you keep him around and you, you know, rebuild and retool in another way around what it is. But I, I just, I, I think to your point is, yeah, they're, they're, I just had it pulled up, but I lost it. It's a, uh, yeah, they're 22 and 27. They are, 
they're only a game out of the play-in, but we know Masai Ujiri doesn't want to be a play-in team. They're five games out of the, the last playoff spot in the, the sixth seed. That's Not only is that a lot of games to make up, but you got to climb five other teams to even get there if you're the Raptors. And that becomes a spot where it is, all right, where are we even going with this team right now? And that's where I think, again, you got to, well, like you said, you don't have to be an early mover, but you got to be a mover. You, you can't, if Toronto is still sitting here and sits this out and does not make some kind of incredible run post-trade deadline, we're going to look back at this and I'm very confidently going to say this trade deadline was a failure. And that doesn't have to be trade in Anobi and Barnes and Siakam and those guys who I think can stick and be a big part of whatever is next. But Viv Lee, Trent, you know, one of their extraneous 15 big men that don't play, um, you know, that that's where I think you could, you know, look at this back, you know, at the end of the season in April and say, wow, you know, boy, did they miss the boat on making those moves when they should have. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And I will give Masai Ujiri and the Raptors front office the benefit of the doubt in a way that I yep. will not others because they have <laughs> earned that. Exactly. Um, one other like concept that I wanted to run by you, and it's I, I like to use Minnesota as an example here. You brought up pre-spending, which is a great concept, and, and there is kind of like the pre-free agency. And so the way that this, this came up, I've been I've been banging this drum for for more than a year now. Granted, as as I put it once, if you're going to ask me the question, should it should Team X trade D'Angelo Russell? The answer for me is always going to be yes like that's just the way that's just (laughs) the way i feel about him relative to the league same with vooch is the idea that minnesota and incidentally i brought up vooch chicago is kind of in this boat too where there are two questions one of them is do we want to pay this player's next contract do we want to commit to them you know presumably that's going to be a multi-year thing it's not just a one-year rental and then the other one is well if we get to july and they're not the answer whether that's because they left or they we didn't we decided you know with the additional information that we'd gained over the year that that's not what we want to do how could we pivot and so for both the bulls and the Timberwolves, the answer to that is if you think there is a meaningful chance that that player isn't right for you, move now because you're not going to have that much flexibility after. And so like Minnesota, there is a concept of how they could have a modest amount of cap space, but Mm -hmm. instead they could do something with Russell or theoretically you could even structure it. I wouldn't want to do this because I think Kyle Anderson and Torian Prince have helped them, but like you could do something involving other players to fill that same gap. And the gap that I'm defining here is the guard playing next to Anthony Edwards. Whether you want to think of that as a one or just a guard more broadly, I think Edwards should have the ball in his hands more. And moving, making that decision, being proactive, it helps you in a couple of different ways. And one of them is just that they're like most teams have more options on the table in the offseason because you have not only cap space, but you have more players that are conceptually available. Teams at that point will they'll reevaluate. Also, they can get replacements. So if you want you know, if you're doing doing this, then they a team might be like, oh, well, we'll trade we'll trade this player because we can get this guy with the mid level or something like that. Now that's things are more sticky. But with D'Angelo Russell, it's like, oh, so this this is your pathway to figuring out that positional spot, ideally for the next three to four years. And so with them, and maybe you solve it with what for one year, like you do like a Russell for Conley deal or something like that. But moving early, trying to identify the player for a team that doesn't have flexibility in the offseason, I think is totally the right move. Yeah, and that's that's super important for a team like the Wolves, too, where I look 
part of what you're planning is it's it's this year, next year, but you're going to start looking down the line a little bit. And in 2024-25, when that season tips off, they're going to have, being, you know, assuming Anthony Edwards continues the progression he's on, you're going to have $94 million roughly in Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert on your books. And then you're going to have Edwards on a max salary. And right now that projects to be somewhere in the 36 million to 43 million range. Cap's probably going to go up more than what's uh, been suggested right now. So if it does, it does, but you're there, there's your, you know, you're well over a hundred million dollars for those three guys. And that's where I would be looking at it and saying, all right, unless I have a really good feeling that D'Angelo Russell is going to take uh, my favorite thing in the world, the, the, the descending contract or declining contract, um, you know, because that would maybe make some sense or he's going to take something that's, you know, really kind of team friendly ish. Cause it's not going to be super team friendly ish, but if he takes something that's team friendly ish, then we go and we feel pretty good if that's where he's going in the summer, because I'm looking at next year and those years down the line. But if I'm feeling like, no, Russell's going to want something again in that, you know, 25 to $30 million range. Cause that's where he feels like he should be as a player. Then I'm looking at, all right, how do I turn him into somebody I'm going to have at that? It's, it's rare. It feels like in the NBA, unless it's young player for old player that we do the same position trade. But in this case, I think you could see something where, you know, if it was Russell for Conley or some three team construction that they're the two major pieces, that could be interesting to see because what you could have is if you're the Jazz is, well, that removes the Conley question from us entirely. And we're now moving in a different direction. And if you're Minnesota, I think you look at him and be like, yeah, Mike Conley's a guy who we would like and fits probably pretty good next to Anthony Edwards. And you know what? His 24 million or whatever it is next season, that's fine. We're, we're good there. It would just be kind of weird to see those two teams link up again in another another uh, big big money moving around trade like that but it just would be you know it's something where i think you could look at that and say yeah that's what it is but that's where i just want to see these teams minnesota is one of those other teams they're sitting about three million under the the tax line there's no reason not to Try to be the best version you can be because you don't even own your pick this year. Uh, you owe you owe multiple other picks down the line to Utah. Go try to be the best team you can be, and you know, hey, if you could take on two million dollars in a trade, great, take on two million dollars. Don't don't be a tax team this year, but try to be the best version you can be of what you can be. Even though right now you're kind of a five hundred middling team because you don't have any incentive to not be that. And that's where I think for them, I think again, I, I mentioned the Kings, the Grizzlies. I think the Cavs are in that boat in the Eastern Conference. You've got a little bit of flexibility under the tax line, about $2.5 million. If you could trade Karis LeVert for a $20 million player, I, I think you got to consider doing that if that guy becomes available because, again, you're trying to build this up and push forward, and the Cavs are a better team than Minnesota, but in the same boat. You don't own your picks. You've, you owe a whole bunch of picks down the line, so why not move these guys, really build and strengthen what you have because this may be your opportunity Opportunity. I know everybody looks at Cleveland, Memphis, and says, "Wow, you know that they're young. They're going to be around for the next decade." Uh, that's not how it works in the NBA. Windows snapshot very, very quickly, and this may be uh, something that looks good for the next seven, eight, nine, ten years. May only really be a two or three year window. 
So that's why I'm all about when you have that opportunity, maximize that window when you're close. And I think those teams are pretty close and close enough to something meaningful for them as a franchise that it is close enough to push in and go for it. There's also the question and all that all that really good of the, like Dan Feldman phrases this really well. The status quo is a decision too. And for Cleveland, you, you, Karis LeVert is a fantastic example of this. D'Angelo Russell is too, of what does staying the course mean for you? What does staying mm-hmm. the course do? And LeVert is not a perfect fit with the four pillars of this Cavs organization. You have Mitchell and, and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in and Darius Garland, not in necessarily that order. And so when you have like one of the things that I think is so important is that when you have strong foundational pieces and obviously the Cavs do, the Cavs have one of the stronger foundations, which is so incredible when you think about how this franchise has evolved over the last 20 years Mm -hmm. is I think generally speaking, teams should use basically the idea of get as much talent as we can get players that are good, find value. You know, Danny Ainge has done a lot of this, both with the Celtics and with the Jazz as well. But then when you have focal points, use them as focal points. And so for Cleveland, your organizational imperative now is to add a player who can start and close games ideally with that group, who can maximize that and hope that Kobe Altman and everybody else can find enough players on the margins to make those things work. And so Okoro was an option. And also like the, you, I mean, his value is probably not super high in the league, but you could also consider having him as a sweetener to get somebody who's actually a better option. But one of the things about the Cavs is like they just made it work with Lowry Markkinen, who is a very different type of player, but they could also do it with more of a traditional 3 and D wing. They could do it in a couple of different ways. And so the question that you have to have is, does staying the course, keeping Karis LeVert, and then presumably re-signing him, should that be what he wants and what you want? And there's a risk in that too. Is, is that outcome? And what I kept thinking thinking about with this um, it was funny i was looking at different cap sheets and one of the ones that stuck with me for a second when i was we were doing this cut is the dallas mavericks and so mm-hmm. like tim hardaway juniors the example is the dallas mavericks right now have seven different players making between 10 million and i'm going to include dinwiddie at 20.2 but it's like roughly between 10 and 20 there and sometimes that can be great value sometimes you're getting and then some of the players that the mavericks have in that range are you know like having dorian finney smith at 12.4 having Balaki missed a million shots at the beginning of the year but he's a good basketball player like having him at 10 10 million they should be happy with that but the problem is when you end up committing a lot to players like that who also aren't foundational, you can end up in some really sticky places like the Mavericks not really having that much of a supporting cast, having Luka underpaid because of the max salary structure and still being almost $16 million over the tax. Yeah. Like it's the death by a thousand cuts is really a thing too. And incidentally, like the Raptors are like a higher end version of that where it's like too many $20 million players can be an issue too, unless you're really, really good. That's exactly it with teams like that, because I think we get stuck on the I'll use the old John Wall contract or maybe the current Russell Westbrook contract of like those are what the bad ones are. And yes, those can absolutely bury you and and absolutely sink you, uh, you know, if you have one of those on your books. But I think there is also a point where it's it's that volume of not they're not even bad. It's just like. Eh, it's fine. But when you have a volume of those, that's where it gets hard. And then what you're trying to do is if you're trying to make a real upgrade move, 
you have to find a trade partner that can take two or three of them if you're trying to trade for if you're Dallas and you want to go get that second max guy around Luka because that's the way you feel to build your team now that team that has him you have to find and hope that they'll take three of these guys in a three for one trade because you're piling together you know three guys that make 40 million total and that's where it gets very hard to find those teams and that's where I think sometimes like this year I think we'll see if the Spurs and the Pacers get involved with anybody because they're just kind of sitting out there as a oh you need a third team hey hey we're we're here now they're in a little bit of tricky spots because they they don't they're not sitting on a whole bunch of roster spots and there's not as you look at them super easy cut decisions to be made on their rosters i think they kind of like a lot of the guys that they have but they are sitting in a spot where hey you need somebody to take one or maybe two guys in a trade that you don't really want yeah we're happy to do that but instead of that pick going to you it gets routed to us and that's how we make this work and those kind of things and that's where it's going to be very interesting to watch how Dallas approaches building this team out because I think they they had that thought of all right well we got Luca it was day one it was this kid special he's going to be that guy let's get Chris Apps Porzingis and then it didn't kind of work and I'm not super critical of them splitting the Porzingis deal up into a couple smaller contracts although I I don't know that the Bertans, that's just such a mess. That's, that is one of the truly bad deals, I think, in, in the league. Um, but you just kind of sit there of like, how are we going to how are we going to go to whatever's next? Because we got to do something to reorient this team because, yeah, they, they, they shouldn't be in that morass of teams in the middle because it's not like they've been super injury plagued like some of those other teams in the West have. They're, they don't have what the Suns and Warriors have gone through injury wise. They're just not great. And it's one of those things where it's like, man, you should be up in that Kings territory where you're feeling pretty good of, all right, hey, if we just keep kind of chugging along, we're going to be a home court advantage team. And instead, you're fighting to stay out of the playing tournament. And that's that that just feels not where they should be uh, for, for Dallas. Yeah, and it is worth noting, though precedent is not necessarily predictive, that Dallas had a weird start to last year and then they sure. really kicked it into gear. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're, th- that doesn't mean it's the same team. And on the point, I think it's a great one about it being easier, you know, like, the, the di- oh, let's put it, phrase it this way, the difficulty of trading, you know, like multiple multiple players, especially if they're not positive value, for one. And this is true, it's true in the regular season and it's true in the offseason. And so what I, I was calculating to myself when you were working through, like, Bertans and and all the other ones is <laughs> the guy who would have been easier to, to trade at his the salary he ended up getting is Jalen Brunson. Yep, like absolutely because yeah. a he's an actual good player. Yep, and like and so the, and that's part of the theory of what the Knicks did and and the Knicks are you know they're the seven seed right now. We'll see where things end up, but Jalen Brunson is helping them right now. Jalen Brunson is a good basketball player. I'm thrilled with how he's doing this year. And theoretically, if you move things forward, like if the Knicks end up wanting to trade for the next guy, whoever that is, Jalen Brunson could be a vehicle to do so. Doesn't have to be, could be. Mm-hmm. And so you you have those, and I'm sure that's what Dallas, not all of these sins are on Nico Harrison, for sure, because he took over midstream, but like that's what they thought they, probably they were doing with Tim Hardaway. It was not, in in fact, and like in the Dwight Powell extension, I have I have beef with. And so like when you put all those things together, it's kind of like uh, I think with fish, I'm not might not get the exact term right, which is would kill my sister because she's a marine biologist. But <laughs> it's like toxic accumulation where it's just like 
eating one bad thing isn't necessarily bad, but you eat enough of them, then it becomes a big problem. I think this is with mercury poisoning and stuff. And so like there, there, there aren't that many situations like that, but there are a few and it leads to this really, really interesting circumstance. And like the, generally speaking, the Pelicans books are miles and miles better than the Mavs, but like the, you have enough Devonte Graham contracts and things can become a problem. And so mm-hmm. I'm really interested. Like that's one of the key questions for me. Like you, like what I would say maybe the biggest theme of this podcast has been proactivity versus reactivity. And that, yeah, that, that, sorry, I didn't mean to say go ahead. Trump, no, but go. I'm just, I'm in complete agreement with that. And can I, you, you mentioned one player, but I want to go back to the team really quick. Cause I think they're in a weirder spot than I think most people realize Miami. Yes. They, you mentioned Max Struess, but I think when you look at it as Max Struess and I'm going to add Gabe Vincent into that same mix too, because he's played pretty well. He's going to get, he's not going to get a ton of money, but he's going to get a decent contract. This, this, this coming off season. I look at it though. If you're the heat idea in an ideal world, you would say, Hey, as I call it the Dinwiddie extension, some people call it the Powell, but that, you know, mid mid-level extension-ish is what it is. In an ideal world, you would say, hey, we'll lock Struess up to that because that's probably about what he's worth. And then maybe Vincent will give slightly less, but but we'll, we'll get him locked up too. Now we've got our guys. But then when you look at it, it's, well, wait a minute. Now what we've done is around our big contracts of Bam, Butler, and Hero, and Lowry I'm going to take out of the mix because there's only one year left. But around our big contracts, now what we've done is we've piled in Duncan Robinson at $19 million, Caleb Martin at seven million. Uh, we'll, we'll have Struess and Vincent at probably somewhere between you know twelve and you know ten million for Vincent and twelve-ish million for Struess. By the time we we get into the those outer years, and that starts to get into a spot where it's like. Where are we going? Because you 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 just locked in your entire roster moving forward. And I have to start to believe, and I know they're very smart and very cap savvy for an office, but are you looking at it and saying, boy, you know, we, in retrospect now, because he's just fallen off the planet as a shooter, the Duncan Robinson deal is just sitting there as kind of an albatross. And what we, got, we already got to work around that a little bit. So what are we going to do moving forward? We can't necessarily add two more guys unless we start subtracting somewhere else it's obviously not going to be tyler hero it's not going to be jimmy butler it's not going to be bam Adebayo. and that does make me wonder as odd as it may sound because all they went through to get him and tampering penalties and all that could they be a team that says you know what kyle lowry for d'angelo russell could that be something that makes some sense because that just allows us to give ourselves that little bit more flexibility salary wise that we wouldn't have with lowry get it a year earlier we can start to rebalance things or is it let's break Lowry up into two guys who make you know 10 and 12 million versus you know Lowry's 30 million and now we're rebalancing that way I just think there's a lot of interesting conversations coming with Miami because they're another team that I think is historically is red yeah we don't really want to be six now if they think get healthy we're we're gonna push we'll, we'll, we'll make that push we'll be in the mix to make the finals again well then I can't really knock it because they did it a year ago but I just think there's something going on in Miami both short and long term that in that we need to keep a little bit more of an eye on as opposed to just the standard, ah, they're the heat, they'll figure it out. Along those lines, Miami, as as I'm kind of, my books have it right now, they're roughly between 10 and 15 million over the tax for next year without fully filling out the roster and not any money for Struess and Vincent. That 
considering like where where the Heat are as a franchise and where Mickey Arison has generally been in terms of willingness to spend is a huge problem. Crazy. And yep. and so there are ways to resolve it and Andy Ellsberg, Pat Riley have done a fantastic job in the past. And they get deference on the cap clearing in the same way that Masai Ujiri gets it on overall <laughs> yep. roster management. Yep. But those are harder moves to make when as you, the players that have interest around the league are the players you're not moving. And so where are they going? What do they want to do? How? Also worth noting that in an unusual turn, like Max Drews is an unrestricted free agent. Like this isn't even mm-hmm. a circumstance where, oh, it's match rights. It'll tamp, tamp down the market. You could come to something. No, he could just do whatever he wants. And it's not like the Heat have been treating him so perfectly well this year that like, oh, I can't believe I could be anywhere else. And so you run that risk as well. Yeah, and I think with a guy like Struess, he's somebody, too. I look at these teams that project to have cap space this summer, and almost all of them, as long as the contract doesn't get out of control, he's somebody I could see almost every one of those teams, even the teams that are currently bad, saying, you know what, we'll give him – all right, everybody else is going to offer their their full mid level. All right, we'll go to twelve million in starting salary and, and beat it by a couple million because we'll we'll go get him because we really you know what we need to round out this roster is another shooter. The guy look at Orlando; they don't have enough shooting on that roster, and they could very easily say, you know what, at twelve million, he's not going to kill us. That's never going to be a bad contract, so we we can do that. I think you know uh, that could be somewhere where um, a team like Houston, who doesn't have a ton of shooting necessarily on their roster could they say yeah we kind of tried it on the cheap with garrison matthews didn't work out we've got more pending james harden fantasies but we've got more cap space than we can really spend let's let's go you know a guy like max Strus, and then all of a sudden because much like the mavs and jalen brunson he's unrestricted you don't have any recourse to keeping him because you're it, it doesn't matter that you have full bird rights because you're never getting into that range of a contract anyway that's where i think people get get too lost and those things but what it does matter is it gets into all right are we going to end up having to pay this guy more than what we wanted to and if you're miami specifically you have to have in the back of your mind what if he becomes duncan robinson <laughs> like what what if now now we have two guys who are you know primarily their 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 single skill is shooting and now we've got two that aren't necessarily shooting great and they're tying up almost 30 million dollars on our books and that's what that's where you know that that kind of little bit of messiness with with the way those contracts came together it's where you know you're seeing all these teams they, they want that because you're coming off the books for those players we want the ability to make you restricted but these guys all you know Struess and vincent and and to a lesser degree omer you're at seven they can make him restricted but those guys are all in interesting spots because you could see miami very easily put in a position where oh boy this one in a place we weren't really expecting this to go and then you could end up losing them for nothing and then it becomes all right we got to go replace them now i trust them to replace more uh with a better player than a lot of other teams but it's still something you're gonna have to deal with yeah yeah it's a lot to think about um any other storylines can be deadline or on the court or anything else that you want to talk about before we head out I the the only thing I will say is which one of the teams that styles themselves as a contender makes a it doesn't have to be the massive all in move but at least a semi all in move because there's there's I just history tells us 
there's probably going to be one who's really going to try to go do something. Like, like I think of Denver getting Aaron Gordon a couple years ago. Who's going to make that kind of trade of those teams that are you know, really feel like they're 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 right there and they're maybe one player away from pushing into a whole new level? Um, who's going to go make that move? Because I believe there will be one. Just personally, I'm hoping it's maybe Memphis because I think they're very well positioned to do it. And I think it would make a lot of sense for them. Um, But I do feel like there's going to be one of those. And I'm just kind of wondering, I keep waiting. Every time my phone goes off with a notification, I, I keep jump one it's trade season so i jump every single time but i keep like is this it is this the team that's that, that's making the big move it hasn't been yet but that's generally something that comes a week to week and a half out from the trade deadline if not even closer in but somebody is going to make one of those moves i just don't know who it's going to be yeah i don't know who it's going to be either memphis is a logical candidate they have enough draft resources and enough salary flexibility to make it work i i don't think this is the time for the pelicans to make to make that move in part because they still need to evaluate their roster and, yep. and and their crunches are coming, but they're not all the way here just yet. So yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be someone, but you got me excited about the, when you mentioned the Halliburton Sabonis trade, like it's a, it's a reminder that there can be wildness that can come from almost anywhere at the trade deadline, and it doesn't have to follow the normal structures. And mm-hmm. there that happens at draft time, that happens in July as well. But I... So, so like the answer is, I don't know where it's going to come from. I think you're right. Like numerically, it almost always like just, you know, the law, the law of large numbers. All these teams have these motivations. Something's going to happen. And so my instinct is this is going to be an overall quiet deadline, but overall quiet does not mean totally quiet. And the more like kind of stale things seem, the more shocking the things that happen are. And I'm a, I'm a little bit juiced for that possibility. Yeah, I'm with you. And I've also uh, really subscribed to the theory of uh, I've had many people work in front offices say, because I'll, I'll shoot texts off and be like, it's really kind of quiet. And their response is generally, yeah, because we're working like like. That's when it's, you know, when when you're hearing 9 million things, a lot of times stuff is getting thrown out there and floated because eh, that's not like like the Jakob Pertle to the Celtics stuff that's been out there for seemingly a month. Once Rob Williams was back and showed, all right, he's pretty healthy and looks pretty good. That to me made no longer made any sense because Pertle wants paid. He doesn't want to come off the bench. The Celtics are they, they, they have to be careful moving forward with continuing to trade draft picks and all those things. So that started to turn into, yeah, unless this is really like we have to have absolute assurity we'll be fine up front. Those didn't make sense. But that's why I think we're hearing about them because it's it's not going to happen. It becomes all the stuff of, yeah, when it's kind of quiet and things aren't really happening yet, I think it's because a lot of times it's they're trying to put these things together. And I think that's what's fun. Every year I want the trade deadline where at about 301 even Eastern Woj tweets a good Lord like he did that one year, uh, which was just just so fun. And I think we were getting deals in like new deals. We were finding out we're in the trade queue till like 345 and four o'clock Eastern because there were just so many every year. I want that because chaos is fun and it's fun to cover. I don't know that we get that, but I do think we're going to have a couple moves where it's like, wow. And I think they will take on kind of take to the point you were making. And there's not a lot of stuff that happens. Those moves will take on a bigger importance because they did actually happen and that, that's that's a lot of fun too it is and we'll see where things are two weeks in two weeks but thank you so much for taking the time i appreciate it thank you for having me 
Thanks again to Keith Smith for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at Track, at Celtics Blog. You can listen to the front office show that he does. And if you don't already somehow, you can follow him on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. Love having him on. Love talking with him. I've known Keith for years and his passion, his insight is so valuable. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, really whatever podcast player you use. That is much appreciated. Spotify, Apple, wherever. And then you can also help other people find the show. That's through leaving a rating and review, through word of mouth, really whatever. And Real GM Radio has been around a long time, but there are still people who are, of course, finding the show as there are with everything. But the most important thing you can do for Real GM Radio and any other podcast that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to not only get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, which is fantastic, but also to tell them that you came from us. And that is a huge deal for me, for us, to keep the metaphorical and sometimes physical lights on. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime, still going strong with Nate. Mock trade deadline is coming soon, and we're doing deadline previews plus for all all the teams, all the divisions, and we're also doing, of course, the 15 and 60s, and gamers, and getting into a variety of other things, and with Dunked on Prime, you also get the great work of Dan Feldman, and Seth Partnow, and the pods that Nate does with John Hollinger. So there's a lot, a lot there. Also, Nate and I are still doing the NBA strategy stream. We will be back on Monday. We're going to be doing Sixers Magic, which should be a really fun, interesting game, and I've been doing some of the prep for that, which is always exciting for me because I start to think about the specifics of the matchups. And you can also check out my written work at The Athletic. I've actually written three things, posted three things in the last week. A deadline big board with Seth Partnow and Sam Vecini, a piece talking about kind of how you evaluate when to sell and when to buy. It's something I've thought about writing a bunch of times. I use the bulls as the focal point, but you could apply the lessons in a lot of different places. And then I did a breakdown of some of the elements of the Rui Hachimura trade as well. Benefit of having only one real trade so far is that we get to spend a little bit more time on it. And there's a lot of other great content on The Athletic. And seeing the frustrating, not surprising, but really frustrating news with SB Nation more broadly. And of course, today with Indy Cornrows and the great Caitlin Cooper, who of course I've had on the show many times and hopefully will continue to as long as she is willing to accept my invitations. It is a reminder of how hard, how frustrating, how callous at times this business can be. And the advice that I will give you as listeners, as readers is to support the people that you think are doing great work. If you do that financially or not, that is your prerogative. But through amplification, that's something I try to do. If I like, I, there was a really good piece on 538 about the post ups that I was reading last night, and I retweeted that, but tried to hope to get a few more eyeballs on it, and it helps. And I'm thankfully at the point where, at least at the moment, I don't need that kind of amplification. And I love what Dan Feldman does with Daily Dunks as part of Dunk on Prime as well. And it's hard out there. And I've tried to do what I can to make things better for those, especially those that I think are doing great work. I will continue to give them a platform for Real GM Radio as long as I can have this platform. But I, my heart goes out to everyone affected, those that I'm familiar with, and of course, those that I'm not familiar with as well, and all of those who value their content and who might be getting less of it, hopefully just for the interim. But it's, it's a hard business, and that's 
not to sugarcoat it. That's not to justify it because those things don't do those things. But hopefully we can keep making it better. I, I at times like this make me frustrated that I'm, I feel like I'm doing less than I should, but that that's my motivation. And hope if you, if you want motivation, you can find it out of this as listeners, as readers, as viewers of great video content as well. Um, something I am unbelievably terrible at, but many people are really great at, and I appreciate them for that. So if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is promised. I'm not the greatest at replying, but I will read it. That's why I say that. And that's enough rambling for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.